how were those experiences for you? And uh, how was it to be back in Vegas to see me? How was that? <laughs> the highlight of my show, Avi. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure it was. The highlight. It was, it was great to be back in, at a live event and see people. It was like taking a drink of water out of a fire hydrant um, because it was just everyone was so excited to be there and see friends we hadn't seen for a long time. Uh, it, was, it was a very positive, happy experience. This is the Rappaport Diamond Podcast, and now your host, Avi Kravitz. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Rappaport Diamond Podcast. My name is Avi Kravitz. I'm a senior analyst at Rappaport, and today I'm joined by two special guests. We all know Joshua Friedman, who's our news um, editor. Um, welcome, Joshua. It's great to be back on the podcast with you. Thank you. Likewise, Avi. And um, also with us today is Jennifer Hebner, who's a, um, a long-time Rapport friend and a, um, a contributor to the Rapport magazine and uh, a seasoned journalist um, in the diamond and jewelry trade. Um, Jennifer, it's great to see you again, and thanks for joining us on the podcast again. Great to be here again. I, I love the Rap Podcast. <laughs> Well, it's um, it's great to to speak to you, and it's the uh, it's the first time we've spoken since um, Vegas, and the Las Vegas shows were the first time that I was lucky enough to see you in person in about two years, and it was such a treat to see you and to see everyone on the from the trade again. And I know that you've been doing the rounds on the trade show circuit. Um, you were in um, at AGS Conclave in Dallas. You were at the AGTA show in Denver as well. Um, but it all started in Vegas. So how were those experiences for you? And uh, how was it to be back in Vegas to see me? How was that? <laughs> <laughs> the highlight of my show, Avi. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure it was the highlight. It was. It was great to be back in, at a live event and see people. It was like taking a drink of water out of a fire hydrant um, because it was just everyone was so excited to be there and see friends we hadn't seen for a long time. Uh, it was. It was a very positive, happy experience. Great to see jewelry in person, not just through you know Zoom press presentations and things. So very, very positive. The mood was great. It was a condensed show. All the shows were condensed. Of course, everyone knew that was going to happen. But the people who were there were, were serious. They were there to shop. The exhibitors were, you know, excited to show off their wares. So, yeah, it, it was a very positive experience. Mm, um, for me, too, it was, a, it was a bit of a different show, um, show experience from my point of view. I was, um, I was the only Rapport journalist at the show, apart from yourself. You, you wrote up a, a nice um, write-up about the, the, the show in our magazine. But usually, um, Sonia um, Esther Sultani um, joins joins us in Vegas. She wasn't there this year, and she covers the sort of jewelry design and um, and uh, is our kind of fashion uh, guru um, at Rappaport. And that was left to me, so it was a bit of a new experience. <laughs> and um, and for for the first time in 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 many a year, I, I I got to touch and feel the jewelry again. I'm usually the sort of diamond reporter looking at some um, trends in the market, and it was and people were very excited to have that sort of um, physical contact um, with the with the pieces again and it's um, I think it was it was quite telling but um, 
what were, what were some of the uh, sort of main trends and themes that you picked up on from uh, from those um, try-ons and, and the touch and feel <laughs> that you got from the, from the from the product? Lots of uh, sentimentality, personal personalization, lots of talismans, uh, lots of pieces with meaning. That was the the most important overarching trend, I think. So lots of zodiac signs, lots of you know symbols, personalized pieces, you know name names on being engraved on things. Um, lots of gold chains. Uh, Paperclip link was everywhere. Almost every everyone had a, a version of it. There was also a lot of men's jewelry, which was kind of surprising to me. Um, and what else is there? Well, um, well I, I picked up on that as well because, um, again, was kind of a first for me that I, I'm, I'm not such a, a jewelry wearer. And, um, and I actually did get to try on quite a few pieces this time at the show, um, particularly at, um, at Couture, um, at the Couture show. And, um, and uh, I'm not quite ready to take Instagram by storm, but <laughs> I, think, I think my photography needs a bit of work. But um, but it was certainly it it it, it was a, it was something that that some um, designers were focused on. It seems yeah. that the men's jewelry um, uh, there were more men's jewelry lines and collections that that people were pushing. Mm-hmm. Retailers were asking for them. That's what a lot of the exhibitors were telling me, that retailers were asking them for men's jewelry. So that that was very interesting. Um, that is else? interesting. Yeah. Well, it seems also that um, that people were really tapping into the COVID experience um, in their in their design, in their in the storytelling that they were that they were giving. You know, you mentioned the paperclip um, uh, theme that was running through a lot of collections at the at the show, and you know, one jeweler sort of explained it that that uh, the the, the paperclips connecting to each other sort of was inspired by by his his um, need or, or yearning to connect with other people and that's what it kind of symbolized so i heard a lot of that sort of storytelling um you know that um uh, for example, you know, Levion came out with its uh, with its new collection of, um, and they were very into the yellows because the world needs positivity today. Yes, this yes. kind of um, uplifting type of uh, storyline. Yeah, yeah, they had a lot of themes of you know positivity and yeah, lots of sunny yellow in their collections. Then you went on to the was it AGS next or or AGTA? AGT, um, AGS American Gem Society Conclave in right. Dallas in was Dallas. the next show in mid September, and it wasn't you know of course it's not a, a trade show like the, the Vegas ones yeah. are. It's for seminars and networking, and again, it was a greatly greatly reduced in number, but the people who were there were you know very happy to see each other and very happy to be present for some live mm-hmm. education mm-hmm. and uh, to hear from folks you know what they were experiencing you know the covid world has been you know fascinating for for you know gem dealers and sourcing and things so we heard a little bit about that the difficulties in sourcing materials and uh, you know all kinds of education so that was a, it was a very positive experience <laughs> 
uh, great to great to see folks. Right. I mean, a- AGS always is. Um, yeah. you, you always get get something out of it in terms mm-hmm. of uh, you know in terms of education and uh, and learning new things about the trade. But um, you know, I mean, we, we've seen such a such a positive feeling about. Um, the industry in the last year and the question going into all these events was if the momentum was going to carry on and um just you know in terms of our coverage of the market and the and a lot's happened in the last two months since the since the vegas shows um joshua what what sort of sentiments are, are you seeing in terms of the you know what what people are expecting for the or seeing in the trade, is there a sort of softening of sentiment or has that positive momentum or positivity continued through um, through to the beginning of the fourth quarter now? Yeah, Avi, the, the, the overall picture is positive. The outlook for the holidays is, is very strong. Um, I think there was the, the, this impact from the positive impact of the pandemic. So the, uh, the, the lack of travel, the lack of, ex- of other opportunities to spend on experience experiences, um, that's continued longer than many people expected. I think people thought by now that, uh, that, 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 uh, that positive effect would have worn off. Um, but it looks like it still will be in place this, uh, this holiday season. Um, that said, the market, I don't know if you'd agree with me, Avi, but the, 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 the diamond market has cooled off a bit since the summer. Um, there's many factors that will go into that. Um, but uh, I, there's, there, there seems to be some drop-off in, uh, in consumer sentiment. We've got some, uh, we, we received recently some, some data from the conference board that indicated that uh, consumer confidence in the U.S. had dropped for three consecutive months. Um, so as I said, the, the picture is is fairly mixed, but overall uh, overall positive. There's also a question of of supply for the holidays. Um, there's a, a bit of congestion in in shipping in ocean o- ocean shipping, um, but again, it seems like the diamond market is fairly immune to that uh, because a lot of it is done by air. That's at least the the explanation that Signet Jewelers has given that they they mainly ship there. Uh, they mainly ship their goods uh, by planes, and therefore they're not uh, they're not being affected by this. Uh, so it looks like there will be enough stock for the holidays. Um, so I say it's overall is a positive a, a positive picture. Well, Jen, we, uh, we were speaking earlier that um, the the timing of the show um, may have played into that to the to the industry's advantage in some way this year because of those supply um, issues. Yeah, yeah, for for sure. I think this year, having the show in August, of course, it was awkward for everyone. We're used to having the shows in June. But I think because of that timing and because jewelry has done so well during the pandemic, I mean, people have had the best sales years of their lives in the past, you know, couple couple years because of the decline in air travel. Um, it's it, people really had the people who were who were present at the Vegas shows were there to buy, and they didn't have the option of holding for confirmation, which often happens um, mm. it, when they shop in June. They'll tell the designer, the maker, you know, hold for confirmation in the fall. Well, it's August, so you can't hold for anything. If you want your stores to be restocked by by November, December, you have to place these orders now. You ha- you know you have to get it done uh, just to have it in stores in time. You know what? Something else that 
that uh, people were saying, and I think everyone kind of has seen, it's been written about a little bit, is that the supplies have been, it's tough to, to find enough of everything that you want. I know, you know, it's the lack of international trade shows um, has made it tough to source things like pearls, um, and, you know, finding uh, adequate large diamonds. I was talking to Chris, Chris Cut, Christopher uh, Designs and in Vegas, and he had, he had demand for fine pieces, but it was hard to source all the quality that he wanted. So the demand is really good for jewelry because of what's, because of the pandemic, uh, but getting, an, getting enough uh, inventory restocked in time for Christmas is a, you know, is a bit of a concern, but it's all still good right now, but Josh mentioned, you know, consumer sentiment. There's a, there's, yeah, there's a lot happening in the States. I, f- I feel like, you know, you turn on the news every day and I'm a news junkie. It's just, well, what, what's happened today? I mean, it's, we've got inflation going up. Yeah. Consumer confidence has been declining. We've got a lot of issues. American politics is like, it's, it's kind of crazy, but we do have a lot of issues of, of concern uh, right now. And that was, you know, that, that concern was expressed by not in Vegas, but by exhibitors, attendees at uh, the AGTA show. They, you know, have been enjoying all these great sales, but there was a little concern there. Well, what's going to happen moving forward? Or, you know, when is the shoe going to drop? When is, when is, when are things, you know, when is this great, you know, sales climate going to change? Will it change? So that uncertainty is there. And that's, you know, certainly what was reflected in the numbers that Josh you know, Josh sees at the confidence board. My feeling is that um, there's still that confidence, at least within the jewelry trade, um, for the holiday season. Mm -hmm. Um, The question then becomes what happens in 2022, um, because the holiday season seems to be, um, you know, all those trends in other retail areas besides, you know, outside the, the jewelry industry's competitors still seems to be playing into the, the, the industry's favor. Um, you know, the lack of travel, the, yeah. um, um, I think the supply issues, as Joshua mentioned, are, are hitting other retail sectors more than the jewelry industry. It seems to me, you know, like the, that the major jewelers at least um, have the inventory in place for the, uh, and are ready for the, for the holiday season. So I think there's still that confidence that there'll be a good season. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, next year will be interesting because we get back into that sort of cyclical routine again, you know, that um, we would have had a holiday season and then there's the restocking, the boom in the first quarter and the, and the, and the quiet again in the second and third quarter, et cetera, that, that we didn't have in the last two years. It seems, it feels to me that there's going to be this sort of back to routine type of um, feeling about the market next year. And there may be some concern what will happen with, um, with consumer sentiment then um, post-Christmas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. The concern is, I think everyone feels pretty strongly about a good holiday season, um, concerned about having enough merchandise for the holiday season in some cases. But then moving into 2022, you know, Tucson's back in the calendar, the regular, regularly scheduled dates. And then June will be the shows. What's that going to look like? You know, uh, it's a lot of uncertainty in the American market with what's happening in politics. But I think there's another factor as well, which is that although the U.S. was the main driver of the recovery last year, um, there was also a lot of benefit from the fact that China was very strong throughout the year. 
basically from February, March onwards, uh, sales in China were were huge. Um, and that slowed down in the last couple of months, according to the people that we're, we're speaking to. Um, and that's very concerning with Chinese New Year coming up in uh, uh, early next year. Um, so although you know, we see the U.S. is, is still strong, uh, there's a potential that a, a large proportion of revenues are just going to be cut out if, uh, if, if China continues to slow. Well, I was going to, I was going to ask you that, um, Joshua, the, um, the, the softness or the relative softness that we've seen in the, in the diamond trade, mm. um, sort of the B2B market seems to be coming from, from the, from the, chi- from, uh, a, a slowdown in China. It's those Chinese, typical sort of Chinese goods, the mm. 30 pointers, the half characters that we're seeing a lot of inventory in the market mm-hmm. and uh, a bit of a softening on pricing as well. And, um, and so I know that you've been working on, uh, on, on a story, um, to see what's happening in the, in uh, Hong Kong, in China. Um, what, what, um, what, what do you think is causing that uh, that sort of caution that we we seem to be picking up from the from the east? Yeah, I think there's a number of factors there, um, but uh, for, I mean, firstly, there's been uh, there's been a rise in COVID cases there. Um, there's been a there's been some power shortage issues there. So some, um, there, there's uh, been a, a slowdown in activity by. Uh, very power intensive electricity intensive uh, electricity intensive uh, industries um, there's also been a major was well, a slowdown in real estate there a major real estate company went bust uh, in in recent months and that's people are telling me that's had a trickle down effect on on the whole market um, and then there's a, a, a key factor obviously that we've mentioned which is no one's been traveling so although uh, the the, the last the last market the last year that the market the, the Chinese market has been very reliant on that domestic consumer spending in China because no one's been able to travel to the usual uh, destinations like Hong Kong and obviously the US and Japan and all sorts of other places um, but it, but the market's been supported by that domestic spending but but that that has slightly slowed down um, in the in in the last few months and there's also a few political issues going on um, so uh, uh, it, it's um, yeah. That, that's there are a few points of concern there. Mm. Well, it's um, th- there's definitely been a. I mean, because of because the borders are closed, there's there's a shift to domestic spending. But I think that's also been kind of a, a strategy for mm. for the um, or for the government in in China that they want to encourage more domestic spending. Mm. But that then does have an effect on the on the in, on the industry, um, because we know a lot of um, a lot of particularly on the higher end, uh, you know, in centres such as Hong Kong, mm. New York, um, you know, Paris, London, wherever it is, um, those higher end luxury jewellers are relying on the on on that tourist spending, the luxury tourist spending, mm. which seems to be, yeah. you know, I mean. T- it's, as it is, travel is is down ac- uh, across the world, but um, mm. everything's shifting to mainland China, and I wonder if that'll have a lasting effect on um, <coughs> on uh, consumer habits in in the in China. Right. 
it, it seems to me that um, the the major jewelers in the industry are betting on that. You know, we're seeing a ch- you know Chow Tai Fook um, mm. expanding very aggressively into right. mainland China. Yeah, and then people like uh, like Tiffany have already benefiting from the. Uh, the moves that they made, so the expansion they did in China a couple of years ago. So yeah, we um, we are seeing that. I mean, Chow Chow Tai Fook, as you mentioned, they've said that they're opening, uh, I think, more than two thousand stores in, in uh, across the, across the world in the next few years, but especially um, especially in, in in mainland China. Um, so yeah, you're you're right, Avid, that they are they are betting on uh, on on the strength of that market. Wow, China is such a big competitor for high-end goods for the for the U.S. When that's you know something a lot of dealers tell me if they're they're struggling to get top inventory, it's because of chi- the Chinese consumer just craves it. There's a demand for it. Mm. Mm. Well, well, that's been a, a factor in the markets um, in the last few years. And yeah. the two markets used to be very um, distinct. You know, there was the American goods, there were the Chinese goods, there were the Indian goods, um, and there's. A lot of a lot more overlap now, and that's making um, mm-hmm. you know the uh, you know if it's the the Chinese who used to um, focus on VVS goods and are moving now into VSSI goods, and that's competing with the with the American um, supplier now. Sure. Um, you know, so so it's kind of it's it really is a global market, even though COVID has sent us back into our sort of domestic bubbles in some way. It's kind mm-hmm. of fun and, and interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, so before before we wrap up, I, I, I wanted to discuss with you guys um, or get a take on what you're seeing in the news. Is there anything um, that you're looking out for? Um, we're all kind of, as you mentioned, news junkies around here. <laughs> but in terms of the, the diamond and the jewelry industry, in terms of what you've been writing about, um, uh, maybe Joshua, we can start with you. Is there anything... Um, any particular story that stands out and that can give us a glimpse into what's happening in the market and uh, that's piquing your interest? Uh, yeah, I mean, there was a story, Avi, that, that we were sc- discussing just this morning. Uh, Lucara Diamond Corp, a, a diamond miner, uh, they, their CEO, Ira Thomas, uh, gave an interview with the Young Diamond Tears, which is a group of as you'd expect, young members of the diamond industry um, a couple of weeks ago. And and in it, she said that uh, that the company uh, is, is considering, well, at some point in, in the future, might, uh, might spin off uh, a business called Clara, which is a, a platform for uh, selling rough to people who want polished. So people who want polished, they go to this platform and there's an algorithm that basically finds the right rough for their polished knees, um, and we were discussing this morning, Avi, that that they they've been trying to get other diamond producers to get involved, um, and it's had it seems it's had mixed success, um, and there seems to be a, a, a slight change in in their strategy uh, that they're they're looking to um, potentially move it into you know, turn it into an a an independent. Uh, vehicle at some point in, in the future. And they say that that might uh, entice more producers, more third-party suppliers to get involved. And they also said that they were looking to uh, potentially find another another mine in Botswana. They didn't say if they meant this would mean acquiring another mine or doing some exploration to try and discover another mine. Um, but it does indicate a bit of a, a change in, in their strategy. Um, and, and this general issue of... of, of um, 
of streamlining the, the rough market. So streamlining the way that rough is distributed to polish has become very important in the last, I would say, two years. Uh, and they've been leading this in some ways. Um, but it's maybe unfortunate to see that they, they haven't had so much success or maybe they may, they may dispute that. Maybe they may actually say they've, they've had a lot of success. Um, but it's certainly something that I'm watching. I mean, that, that it is a, certainly an interesting um, story, the, the car angle. I'm always intrigued when we hear about um, companies that are looking for for acquisitions. And for so long, we, um, we we've spoken about the Canadian sort of industry, com- you know, potential for the potential for mergers in the Canadian mining space. Um, Lucar is essentially a Canadian company, although their mining asset is in Botswana. Um, we know that there's been movement with, uh, you know, with at Mountain Province with the um, the CEO Stuart Brown has stepped down this uh, this this last week. Um, you know, they they may may be looking for partners. Um, you know, and and potential they may be a potential takeover. There's Arctic Canadian Diamond Company. They're these sort of mid tier miners um, based in Canada that. It, it, it always feels like they would be stronger, um, a stronger mid-tier player, and I think that's what Ira was referring to. That um, there needs there, there's there's a need for an investable mid-tier mining diamond miner, and a sort of merger on that scale would be interesting. But it seems that they're looking in Botswana, as you mentioned, which um, we're not sure how many assets are out there um, up for sale in right, terms of right, diamond mines. Right. So no, that's, that is what she said, and it's, it's yeah, it's not clear how she'll how they'll achieve that, but uh, yeah, they they do feel there's a lack of that mid, that strong mid uh, mid tier company. You know, we we all know we all know about De Beers and Arosa that uh, you know sell six billion of of, of diamonds every year, um, six billion dollars, and then there's a lot of much smaller junior miners, but uh, uh, yeah, there's much much fewer in that mid in that mid tier. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, Jen, I've got a feeling you're going on a different, um, a, a different angle in terms of the the news stories that are, are piquing your interest. Do you have anything that you're keeping your eye on? Uh, the whole the whole trade show landscape is interesting to me, and what's been you know we and the uh, the Hong Kong show. You know, no one's going to Hong Kong because of the pandemic restrictions, you know, three, three weeks quarantine in, three weeks quarantine out. So that has just been, you know, real, it's, it's hit a lot of the pearl dealers hard in full disclosure. I work part-time for the Culture Pearl Association. So that's fascinating. It is, uh, you know, it's affected the, the, the sourcing from that regard. And, but also, you know, a lot of gemstones too, um, uh, that Hong Kong show has been significant for so long and the inability of folks to to get there to to buy to shop that's why we see the rise of this uh, the new AGTA show uh, the Hard Rock Summit the Sparkle and Joy there were two components Sparkle and Joy uh, was the the you know the, the high end loose goods show and some finished jewelry and then there was um, the other one which was specimens mineral specimens open to consumers so you know when I went to that show in it was right after Conclave in September and I thought oh this is you know it's an interesting shot at a new show and I didn't think too much about about it. But everyone there uniformly said, you know, this show has legs, this is going to grow, this is going to be a good option. 
for everyone, for international dealers, because of what's happening in Hong Kong and the restrictions on travel there. So that kind of surprised me. I thought, well, at some point, you know, Hong Kong will open up. Hong Kong is Hong Kong. It's really important for a lot of people. But, you know, a lot of folks are banking on this Denver option. So that'll be interesting. And the spacing of it, they, you know, it's Tucson is in February, and then you've got the Vegas shows in June, and then this one in September. So it's nicely spaced. So it could, it, it's looking like it could be a very strong, you know, third calendar option for, for stone dealers and, you know, pearl vendors. I wonder if there's a, an international aspect to that because the, the Hong Kong show is is very international. Yeah. Um, so you've got your Indian dealers, your your Israeli dealers, and you know from all over coming mm-hmm. into to source goods in in Hong Kong. Yeah. Um, and um, and I wonder if they would, you know, if if there was that attendance at AGTA. It's, it was not so much. And again, it was, there were a lot of, you know, international folks who couldn't come because of, I mean, AGTA, of course, is you have to be, you have a U.S. office. Um, there were some folks outside of the AGTA section of the show where consumers could go. Um, that was a little different. But I think they're talking like more in the future, you know, maybe the next show when travel restrictions, you know, pandemic restrictions aren't as great, there'll be more of an international presence. So that was very interesting. And then the Hard Rock Summit itself, it's organized by, um, you know, a guy from Munich, the the fellow who organizes the big um, gem show in Munich. So that was very interesting. It's not an American who's setting this up. It's um, it's someone else from outside the country. So yeah, that whole, that whole part is fascinating to me. And I'm just eager to see how that's going to play out. And then the rest of the, you know, the trade show landscape, um, we don't have the same Basel world anymore. And then what, you know, what's, what are the Vegas shows going to look like? Cause a lot of people figured out how to work, you know, without them work around them. So yeah, I'm just very interested in seeing how the whole trade show landscape pans out. Right. Well, as I said earlier, uh, in private or on the podcast, I'm not sure, but um, <laughs> it seems that we've returned to some sort of routine, or, or at least next year will will be um, a will have some sort of a uh, uh, easier scheduling. We won't be on sort of uh, having these last minute decisions that oh, okay, the Vegas show is happening, and uh, so let's go or. No, we're not going to go, um, but it's going to happen anyway, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I think um, I think next year will be the we'll have a we'll have be able to say what um, the new normal is with more confidence this time next year. I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, so um, hopefully, anyway. Um, so yeah, I mean, from from my side. I'm kind of excited about the, um, the the marketing angle of the industry, and I think that for for the first time in a long time, we're we're seeing some structure in the marketing in sort of you know through the Natural Diamond Council. We're looking at we're seeing some much more interesting marketing from different brands um, that uh, that it just feels that the industry through COVID has been able to have that conversation with their customers um, in a more effective manner. And, I, and I, I'm, I'm kind of interested to see if that will continue or how that evolves in the, um, in the next stage of our pandemic experience. And um, I think, uh, I think the, that's feeding into a bit of confidence for the industry, or at least, at least I hope it is. 
Um, so that's my little shtick and what I'm looking out for over the next month. But um, uh, Jennifer and Joshua, thank you so much for an interesting discussion and uh, for making yourselves available. It's much appreciated. Sure. It's a pleasure. Likewise. It was a pleasure, Ivy. And uh, we look forward to speaking to you both soon and um, following your work on uh, whatever, through Rapport and any other outlets that you might write for, um, Jennifer. Thanks again for, for joining us. And thank you, everyone, for listening in. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Thanks, Abby. Bye, Abby.